Good morning. It is such an important question. How you answer it says much about you. How big is your God? How big is your God? I think that we need to have the view of our children when it comes to God. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. If it's in the will of God, if it's His desire... He can do anything and everything He wants. He's that great. He's that awesome. Now, I think that really that's what we want to believe. That's what we want to hold on to. But on a daily basis, do your actions and attitudes and words reflect How big and great and awesome you really think God is. It's so easy for our actions, our attitudes, our words not to properly convey how amazing and how great God really is. And we can become really negative and cynical about life. How important it is that the people of God have truly optimistic faith. Some people can never see a rainbow because they're always looking down. They're always down about something. And because they're down and, and, and their, their, their countenance, their attitude is so low... They cannot even see the rainbow, God's greatness and God's promises above them. When we think about truly optimistic faith, this kind of faith holds on with love and hope to the character and promises of God and simply will not let go. Truly optimistic faith holds on to the person and promises of God and simply won't let go. It believes greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 4 and verse 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, 1 John 5 and verse 4, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Romans 8, 37 through 39. How big is your God? Really? How do your lives convey that? Your actions, your attitudes, your words. This morning I would like to talk to you about a man by the name of Caleb. Because if anyone in the Old Testament really had a truly optimistic faith in a great and awesome God, it would be Caleb. And what I'd like to do is to look at four passages in the Old Testament that are passages that largely tell us about his life. They are Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Open your Bibles to that passage first, 
And then later, the second two passages, Joshua chapter 13 and 14. Joshua, rather, 14 and 15. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13. And as we kind of look at the life of Caleb and how he is a great example of truly optimistic faith in the Old Testament, we can get a lot of insight into how we should live as the people of God today. Look, if you will, at Numbers 13, verse 6. Numbers 13 and verse 6 tells us this about Caleb. It tells us his name. And as I look through these passages, and we're going to look at about eight passages concerning Caleb. As we look at Caleb this morning, I'll look at eight passages. I'll explain the passage a little bit. Then we will apply the passage. And then I'll talk about a temptation to avoid that we can glean or get from the passage. So, explanation application, temptation to avoid, okay? When you look at Numbers 13.6, you have his name, Caleb. If you were to look at that particular name and its origin, its derivation, it would not be so complimentary. Caleb meant dog, D-O-G. We have Jessica here today. She's got a husband named Caleb. You dog. I don't advise using that, although it is kind of funny. Now, and as a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for dog is basically Caleb. All right? When you think about the Jewish people, dogs were not held in great esteem. They were thought of as the, the kind of the wild dogs that ran in packs that would bite and devour other people and themselves. Remember Galatians 5.15? Without are the dogs concerning the heavenly realm, Revelation 22 and verse 15. Paul would write, beware the dogs in Philippians 3 and verse 2. In each case, people are being talked about who act in ways that are savage and really are not considering matters of the soul, matters of eternity. Caleb's name meant dog. But largely due to Caleb and his influence, a secondary meaning of Caleb came about. Faithful and loyal. You know, Caleb's a pretty common name nowadays. And it is a name that conveys the idea of loyalty and faithfulness. So when we look here at Numbers 13, verse 6, I've done some explaining of his name. But now let me give you an application. What can we learn from Caleb and from his life that may help us, 
be people of true optimism and faith today. You may have had to deal with rough patches in the past. But you matter more to God than you could ever know. I don't know if it was a joke initially to call Caleb, Caleb. But I suspect he came into some rough patches, some rough spots, some obstacles that he had to deal with because his name meant dog. Many years ago, a country singer wrote a song called A Boy Named Sue, and I suspect many of you will remember that one. If you think it's tough to be a boy named Sue, imagine being a Jew named Dog. He probably had some rough patches to deal with. I suspect in our lives, all of us have had to deal with some rough patches. But you matter more to God than you could ever realize. You were made in the likeness and image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Now, let's talk about the temptation to avoid. And then we'll move on to this life study of Caleb. The temptation to avoid is this. Too many people in life, too many people in life allow the past to keep them from truly having a great relationship with God. Aren't you glad Caleb didn't? You shouldn't either. You shouldn't allow the past to keep you from having a deep and rich and meaningful relationship with God. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us. Now look again. This time at Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2, as well as verse 6. When you look at Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2, and verse 6, it is obvious that the twelve spies are about to be sent into the promised land. But did you know this about each of the twelve? They were already respected leaders. They were already men who were chief among the particular groups. In other words, when Moses sends the twelve to spy out the land... He is supposedly sending some of the best and most thoughtful and most faithful, respected leaders from each of the tribes. You understand? Included in that number is Caleb. Well, you talk about somebody who may have had a past, but had somehow become a person who would be esteemed as a leader and respected that's saying something. Application now. Application. We should not allow success 
to keep us from continued spiritual growth. We should not allow a a, a level of success to keep us from, from, from progressing in the faith. From growing, 2 Peter 3.18, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Caleb has already accomplished something. He's a leader. He's a chief among his people. But he didn't allow that success to cause him to coast. I think among Christians, once we attain a certain level there might be a temptation to coast. To not really keep growing, and it's hard to sing the song as honestly as I would like sometimes. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. But Caleb was not content to remain where he was. He wanted to keep growing before God. The temptation to avoid. Have I reached a point spiritually where I'm more or less coasting? Have I reached a point where now I might be considered as a faithful member, a leader, maybe a chief member of the congregation? The type of lady that can always be counted on by others in the congregation. The type of man that can really be counted on as one of our leaders. But our relationship with God is waning. It's atrophying. It's decaying. Number three. Look at Numbers 13 and verse 21. Numbers 13 and verse 21. The twelve were sent into the land of promise. They were sent to look at this land and to spy it out. Their role was that of being spies and to come back and to give a report of the things that they had seen and heard. Application. All twelve were willing to do this. The application for us is there should be times when we are willing to take risk and enter even into potentially dangerous circumstances because we believe It is for God's glory and according to God's will. There will be times when we should take risk that are even considered maybe by some to be dangerous because we believe it's for God's glory and we believe it is in the will of God. Now imagine what would have happened. If those spies were caught by the Canaanites, I'd say that imprisonment would be the best that they could hope for and being put to death would probably be what happened. Wouldn't you agree? But here's 12 men willing to do this, included in that 12, 
are Caleb and Joshua. Temptation to avoid. Too many, too many want to play it safe and to avoid any risk or possible danger. Now you stop and you look at it from Caleb's perspective. Caleb was depending upon the person and character and promise of God. Didn't God tell Abraham that he would give them a land in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3? In Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18? Didn't they realize that they had been freed from Egyptian bondage so that they could go to a land that God would give them? So as Caleb was viewing things, it's a no-brainer. That's what we'd say nowadays. It's a no-brainer. Yes, I'll go and look at this because this is the promise that God has made to us so many times over the years. Let's look at a fourth passage. Numbers 13, verse 30. Numbers 13 and verse 30 and 31. The spies come back. And as you look at the verses here in Numbers 13, going into the 14th chapter, we have seen the land of promise. We have seen that it really is a land that flows with milk and honey, that it's an exceedingly good land. But there are giants there. There are heavily fortified cities there. And as the report is made to Moses and Aaron and the people of God. The report is negative and cynical. They are looking just at the circumstances and they are not able to see the God who is before them and behind them. And finally, it seems, and this is amazing in itself, imagine this. You've got Caleb doing something like this. He quiets the people. There's this commotion that's beginning. It will only intensify, but what he does is he quiets all the people. He says, let us go up. We were just there. Twelve of us were there. We're all back safe and sound. God was with us. Let's go up and occupy the land. After all, God's promised it to us. Let's go do it. And he says, we are well able to overcome it. We'll conquer it by the power of God. Ten spies saying it's too great an obstacle to overcome. 
fortified cities, giants. But they are looking only by sight. By sight. That's how it looks if you're only going to look at it from a human perspective. But Caleb, thank God, wouldn't. And he said, we are well able to overcome it. Let's go up and occupy it by God's power. Here's the application. And get this. I have sat in more than one elders and deacons meeting where there were the ten spies. Their names have just changed. It cannot be done. It is tragic to think of this, but here is the picture. Ten to two. And the application quite simply is we should be willing to have truly optimistic faith in a world and in a church that is largely negative. We must be willing to have a truly optimistic faith in a world and yes, even in a church that too often is largely negative. The temptation to avoid. If you're just a pencil pusher that likes to analyze the facts and you look at the facts, there should be no way that this group of people could overcome a land of giants with heavily fortified cities. And that's what the ten were saying. And that's why at the beginning of chapter 14 in Numbers, the, the Israelites are saying, we may as well just go on back to Egypt because God's just brought us out here to die. And our children will fall to the sword of the Canaanites. If you can only see through your eyes and God is left out of the equation... That is how one will tend to think. Now listen to me. Israel's problem, the world's problem, and too often the church's problem is our God is not big enough. We tend to doubt His greatness. We tend to question His goodness. We tend to doubt his promises. If God promises it, you can bank on it. You can be certain He will fulfill His promise. Let's go to chapter 14. We've looked at Numbers 13, now let's focus on Numbers 14. Let's look at verses 6 through 15. Because here is a rather extended speech from Caleb. As they witness how all the people are talking about not trusting God, doubting Him, and maybe even going back to Egypt 
and having new leaders, it's time to elect new leaders and get these men out of the way like Moses and Aaron. The text says, verses 6 through 8, really through 9, that Caleb and Aaron tore their garments. It's a sign of contrition, of deep humiliation, of brokenness because of how the people were acting. How could anybody in the world think that their God is big? And he's brought us out of slavery from Egypt and we're right at the door of the promised land. How can anyone think that he will not keep his word? Is he cruel? Is he deceptive? Is he unable to do what he promised? And they tore their garments because of how people thought about God and his will. And then notice, in Numbers 14, in these verses, verses 6 through 9, if the Lord delights in us, He's already promised this. Let's go. And let's take the land. Now notice what He says. He says, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do you see that one? Doubting His person, doubting His promises amounts to rebellion, y'all. Do you see it? Do not rebel against the Lord. And twice He says, do not fear the people. Often because we fear what others might think or do, we do not act in a way that's in harmony with the will of God. Point of application. We must be passionate about the promises of God. We must be passionate about the promises of God. He has given us exceeding great and precious promises, Peter tells us. Caleb believed that. Even in the Old Testament. And he was passionate about the promises of God. And he warned the people, his own people, not to rebel against the Lord by doubting Him. Remember the first temptation began with the words, Has God said? And Caleb is saying, Have we not come any farther along than that? Can we not trust our God? And I ask you, can we not trust our God today? How big is your God? How big is mine? And how do we reflect that every day by our actions and attitudes and words? How big is He? Go down in numbers. 
Look at chapter 14 and look at verses, the verse number 24. Hear God. God's going to be speaking. Incidentally, ever wonder what happened to those ten spies? Read toward the end of Numbers chapter 14, especially verses 36 and 37. The ten spies died in a plague. See the irony? The Lord sent ten plagues upon the Egyptians to release His people, and the Lord kills ten of the spies who were God's people with a plague. Same word who don't trust that he can get them where he promised. But now think about this statement, the application. You and I should consider God's thought of us to be the main thing. What God thinks of us is the main thing. What does God think of Caleb? He is my servant. He is my servant. He has, secondly, a different spirit in him. Notice thirdly, he wholly follows the Lord. That will be the refrain concerning Caleb's life. He wholly followed the Lord. You'll see it over and over. Truly optimistic faith wants to serve God no matter what, is willing to be different and follows God wholly. Temptation to avoid. I want to be served. I want to care more about what others think. I want to value my reputation more than I do my character. Character is what God sees or doesn't in us. We get so concerned about reputation. There must be more concern about character. He followed me wholly. I tell you what, Carl, that would be a pretty good epitaph on anybody's tombstone. He followed the Lord wholly. He didn't hold anything back. How about us? Now we go to the book of Joshua. Turn with me to Joshua and go to Joshua chapter 14. Notice verses 6 through 15. Here's what's happened. Fast forward 45 years. What has happened is this, in that 45 years, because of the report of the ten spies and the grumbling, pessimistic, negative nature of God's own people, he said, God did. 
a generation's going to die. Going to die out in the wilderness. And a new generation is going to come along and come into the land. But I want you to know, he says, that Joshua and Caleb will enter the land. Forty-five years is a long time. And now Caleb is 85. We have several that are 85 or older in our congregation. And I almost called the, the, the lesson, How to Thrive at 85. Because if you've got a mindset like Caleb, it can really make a difference. Because you have a truly optimistic faith in God. Now what you have here in Joshua 14, 6-15 is sort of some reminiscing. And Caleb says that even though I am 85, he's, in the, he's the picture of health, we would think. He's doing well. There's certainly nothing wrong with his mind. And what he wants in Numbers 14, or rather in Joshua 14 verses 6 through 15, is he wants the hill country. If you've got the King James, it says, give me this mountain. The hill country would be a prime piece of real estate as far as the promised land was concerned. Location, location, location. Caleb's been waiting to get to this point for 45 years and he says, I'm 85 and I want this land. It's the land of Hebron and it is a land where giants dwell. The Nephilim. Those of Anak. They would likely be some ancestors of Goliath. All right? He's 85 and he's wanting to fight giants and establish a land for his people. Application. We must be patient. But we must always have great dreams and goals to the glory of God. Sometimes some of our older people come and they ask me, Mike, why am I still here? Wrong question. What are your goals and dreams while you are here? Here's an 85-year-old man who still is strong and there's still giants to slay and a homeland to be, to be fought for and promises of God to be obtained. And whether you're 85, 105, 5, or 25, it's always good to have goals and dreams that are God-glorifying, but be patient because he had waited for 45 years. I've been waiting for this moment for 45 years a whole lot of people have died along the way 
A whole lot of people have gone on. Why am I still here? Because God is not finished with people who have goals and dreams out there that are for His honor and glory. That's the application. The temptation to avoid... We can become impatient and cynical as we get older. Isn't that the truth? We can become impatient and cynical as we get older. And we can lose sight of goals and dreams for the glory of God. Please do not do that. You'll only hurt yourself, your loved ones, and the body of Christ. There are things that I hoped to see 20 years ago when I moved here that I'm only now beginning to see. I think I can relate in a small way to what Caleb must have been saying, for 45 years I have been waiting for this and I'm ready. Jeff, the time's come. Let's obtain the promise by God's grace and strength. Lastly, look at Joshua chapter 15 verses 13 through 19. Joshua 15, 13 through 19. It's a neat passage. Here's a guy, 85, that's willing to go out and fight giants and obtain Hebron. And you know what Hebron is? I, I said it's prime real estate. It is more. It is so much more. It is a beautiful wooded area in Palestine. But Hebron is also where... Isaac and Jacob and Abraham are buried. I want the land where God made the promise to the patriarchs, my forefathers. And I am willing to fight giants to obtain God's promise so that my family will have the legacy of faith. Application. We must leave a legacy of faith to our family. We must leave a legacy of faith to our family. Here's how it kind of comes down. In Joshua 15, Caleb says this, Whoever takes this town can have my daughter as his wife. Othniel takes the town. You know who Othniel is? We associate him with the book of Judges, and rightly so. Othniel we would read about again serving God's purpose. Now, 
It's a temptation to avoid. I am afraid about trying to leave a legacy of faith to my family. I am afraid about trying to leave a legacy of faith to others. When we look at the life of Caleb from the beginning, when we see it in Scripture, till toward the end, here is a man who is concerned about the promises of God and about God's people seeing the promises become a reality. John would write, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. A legacy of faith. When Caleb died, I'm sure they could have said he was a successful leader. That Caleb was a man who became a chief among his people. That he was willing to go against the grain, that he was willing to go against the majority. But I believe that more than anything, Caleb would want to be known as a man who trusted in the promises and person of God. And that he left a legacy of faith. Don't you? Every day, you are telling people how big or how little your God is. By your attitude, your action, your speech. May God help us to raise up a generation like Caleb. Amen? We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. It may be that someone wants to put optimistic faith and trust in a great God this morning by believing He is God, turning from one sin in repentance and in being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins and added to the body of Jesus Christ, the church. What a marvelous promise, forgiveness of sin. What a marvelous promise, being added to the body of Christ. No better time than now. And for those of us who are Christians, but we tend to sometimes act too much like the ten spies, shame on us. Shame on us. God is a God who can be trusted. And He's big. Bigger than we could ever imagine. Let us stand and sing.